Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. You are very welcome to this, the first episode of season three of Ireland Creates. We are back after a nice long summer break. I hope you enjoyed your summer and you're now fully into your new autumn routine. Well, this first episode of Ireland Creates for season three is a very special one. It is broadcast in conjunction with the Photo Ireland Festival and we had our first live event in the grounds of Dublin Castle over the summer. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did on the day. But first, while I have you here, if you'd like to feature on Ireland Creates or you know someone you think I should have on as a guest, please feel free to get in contact with me through my website, ashlingorourke.com. That's A-I-S-L-I-N-G-O-R-O-U-R-K-E dot com. I would be only delighted to hear from you. But without further ado... Here is the first episode of Ireland Creates Season 3 and our very first live and in-person recording. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, uh, thank you all for coming today on this very, very warm, sunny day. And I know most people are at the beach, let's be honest. I think most of us might want to be in the sea right now, but we've got air conditioning. So thank you for coming in out of the sunshine to join us. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashling O'Rourke. I'm the host of the podcast Ireland Creates. It's all about Irish storytellers. Um, And I'm a communications coach and I'm delighted to be here. Thanks to Julia and Angel in the Photo Ireland Festival team for inviting us here today for a first edition, really, of a live podcast recording event. It's a new one for myself and and Vukasin. We we haven't done this before, but thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate your time. Um, So we might get started and uh, continue the way I normally do continue the podcasts. And Vukasin, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to the audience. Hi everyone, and thanks, Ashley, and thanks uh, to Angel and Yulia for um, inviting me to take part in this interview and also for doing such a tremendous work in um, in um, having this exhibition here uh, open to the Irish audience uh, that tells a story about uh, contemporary Irish photography. And I think it's um, absolutely of the paramount of the importance in the in the history of art in Ireland. And I'm absolutely delighted that um, I'm part of it. And I'm really happy to be here today to chat and to have a kind of rather informal conversation. So I am originally from Belgrade and I um, can say former Yugoslavia, but I um, um, more often decide to say East only Yugoslavia. So I put the former in brackets as that concept of the country I was born in still lives on, I believe strongly. Um, and um, so I came to Ireland many, many moons ago uh, when there was um, conflict and war going on there, seeking a refugee status in Ireland. And uh, people often ask me, so why did you choose Ireland? And I I still don't know the answer to that question. I think it's a kind of relationship that whether did I choose Ireland or Ireland have chosen me? (laughs) I I don't know. It just happened. I happened to be here. I happened to be here perhaps too long now and I haven't uh, been um, back to um, former home, so this is my home. Um, I became an Irish citizen in um, 2015, and um, and then uh, what is uh, so that's kind of 
that's a kind of brief introduction. Okay, mm. so I'm going to stop you there because I know before you came to Ireland, you had started your photography mm -hmm. practice. And I think in Ireland in around the 90s, am I right in saying, we would have been very familiar with what was happening in Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. Like it was all over our TV screens. Mm. But we felt familiar with it, but we didn't exactly know you know, on the ground what life was like. So can you explain to us, like, like, because, and I'm asking you that because now we're watching the situation unfold in Ukraine. And again, we feel like we're familiar with the situation, but really we're not because it's entirely different living on the ground. So for you, what was yeah. it like? So, so I was 16 uh, when uh, when the when the first war broke out, uh, um, and uh, yeah. So I can say that um, so that my teenage years uh, have been stolen, really. And for uh, so from that time, uh, for another uh, 20 years, um, um, I was uh, really hoping that uh, um, they're going to be a peace. Uh, that uh, there is not going to be um, um, atrocities in war going on. But the more I was hoping and the more uh, work we were doing as, as a students in terms of uh, revolting, I think it, it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, so I would, wouldn't would be directly affected by the war, if you know what I mean. So I wouldn't be living in that parts of the, um, Yugoslavia where there was um, ethnic cleansing, when there was uh, compulsory to go to the military. Well, there was, uh, uh, so I, was, I would be living in Belgrade that got spared from all that madness until NATO decided to bomb the country. Um, in uh, just uh, late nine, uh, well, in the beginning of 2000, and I think that was the kind of moment where, kind of, what what happened previously was we were living under that cloud of, oh my God, what's going to happen next? What's going to, and, and we were not able to see that, right? Mm -hmm. We were not able to experience that in in a way that uh, we were lucky, but uh, hearing the testimonies of people who came to Belgrade as refugees from Bosnia, for example, were really harrowing. So, so that was kind of in the air all the time. And then, and then the, the violation of our kind of possible lives uh, um, um, was uh, when the, 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 the NATO decided to bomb um, uh, Serbia and Kosovo and, um, for three months. and, and um, Gosh, I think when I think about that, I was uh, uh, more um, kind of, um, I didn't perhaps take that seriously as I could have. Did it feel unreal? It, 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 it did feel unreal in a way, like for example, my mom, um, a poor woman, she really didn't recover uh, from um, that violation uh, and uh, her health after that de deteriorated uh, significantly. And, and she died very young. Um, but I was more into um, going into the, um, in, into the city and per perhaps one of the revolts, it's a very, very complicated where the people who were wearing targets around their, um, 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 around their bodies saying almost to NATO planes, so here we are, bomb us. And it was absolutely unreal. So I was taking portraits of people kind of revolting to, to, to that act. And, um, 
Yes, and uh, uh, as, as Kanfu mentioned, what's going on at the moment in the Ukraine, uh, it was pretty unreal. Uh, but I think uh, what have happened there is uh, is a tragic. What's up? What's happening in Ukraine is tragic. What's happening in um, um, Palestine, in Yemen, in other um, um, countries is very tragic. And uh, um, can we comprehend? Do, can I comprehend what's happening in Ukraine at the moment? Experienced. Uh, um, um, wars in Yugoslavia, maybe, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. So you were going to see these protests to to document them. Had you begun to take photography seriously at that stage, or was it just something to do? So I, I did a BA in photography in Belgrade um, University, so that was kind of part of the curriculum at the time, and just. Uh, um, so, I mean, although it was uh, something that I was doing, um, I think my time really, and I was a very good student. I had uh, exhibitions in, 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 in Belgrade and, and further. I think um, my practice has really been shaped significantly uh, during my time in direct provision uh, in Ireland. And uh, I think it's a significant shift um, from my work that may have been, it was a political in a way, but um, uh, with the time in direct provision, it became overtly political and overtly socially engaged. And um, and yes, so that time living in direct provision, for people who don't know what direct provision is, um, this is our um, scheme in Ireland that has been established in November 1999 to house um, and care for uh, people seeking international protection in Ireland. So uh, these are the localities, the sites where people are waiting until they hear whether they're allowed to stay in Ireland or not. So how did you come to be in one of these centers? So, uh, so I came here and then basically you are, you know, you're, uh, you're uh, as you're applying for protection, you, uh, at the time you were, you were um, after going through initial screening, um, you were sent in one of those centers mm -hmm. and uh, you were, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, it's very, um, very simple, um, very unpredictable, um, not, not, so, not, not, not much explanations, but you're just there. Mm -hmm. And you are to kind of be there until uh, you hear what's, what's, um, what, what are the further um, moves, if you like. So, um, Direct provision centres in Ireland, they're, we're aware that they exist mm -hmm. and they get media coverage occasionally. Mm. And occasionally they even get discussed in, in, in Leinster House, in the Dáil. But we don't really have an insight into what life in a direct provision centre is like, what it looks like. And then along comes you and you end up living in one of these mm. places and you decided to pick up the camera. Mm. Can you describe for us Yes. What is it, what's a, a day like living in a direct provision centre? Mm. Yes, indeed, and, and so I'm, I'm talking about my experience that would be almost like 20 years ago, but uh, I think uh, talking about that time then and uh, nowadays, uh, very little has been changed. Uh, and we think that things have deteriorated um, rather than in being improved. So uh, you're living in um, 
So the direct provision centers can be can be uh, former hotels, can be uh, B&Bs, can be former convents, can be army barracks, uh, can be holiday homes, uh, and they are in most cases privately run by the companies who have made a profit of 1.34 billion since the um, inception of direct provision and you are sharing room with other people, strangers, um, and um, at the time we've been offered 19 euros 10 a week, and you're not allowed to work, you're not allowed to study, and you're basically just living in this kind of limbo, waiting to see, uh, to hear what's gonna happen. And, and, then, and then, so that will be the average uh, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, they, the things have, sorry, can Ashlyn. You, can mm -hmm. you cook? Can you decide that, it's a Saturday morning, I feel like a lie-in, I'd like a big fry this morning. Like, what kind of freedoms do you have? Yeah, the freedoms are very limited or no freedoms. So, uh, also to, to say that, uh, uh, for example, um, the, the right to work, um, so those kind of campaigns over the years with activists um, have been fruitful in a way that certain amount of people are allowed to work uh, after obtaining a work permit. But it's not universal and it's, it can get very complicated, it can get very, very tricky. So it's not for everyone. So there's so many different layers. But that in say, itself, that's yes, a very new It's thing. new, it's, it's, it's a you, two years old uh, yeah, uh, yeah, development, absolutely. Right. When it comes to, to cooking, that's also kind of new development, if that's the word, you know, where uh, some people in some centers have a cooking facilities and they get the vouchers. Uh, so imagine there is a, a shop in the center, you get vouchers and you go to that shop and buy certain things and you cook, right? But it's, it's, not, it's not everywhere. Right? And it's not uh, it's not a majority of cases, right? So just to go back to that time of um, when things may may have been even more limited. So when you say that, uh, uh, for example, I was living in um, in a small uh, rural town um, in County Mayo called uh, Balihonis, and uh, you are allowed to leave the center, but imagine when having no money, uh, you know, and with a really, really poor public transport and expensive public transport, where would you go? So let's say the weekly allowance wouldn't even take you to, the, uh, to Galway, which is a, a city, as you may know. So, uh, so it, it is kind of more or less, it is kind of designed, you know, that you are living there within, within the walls of direct provision center and lots of people who, um, have experienced it um, and are experiencing it, are calling it an open prison. Mm. So, so my positionality then, I remembered that I brought with me in that bag, I brought the small camera from, from Belgrade and I started ta then taking the photographs and I think that was the um, important moment um, in, in, um, um, in terms of coping mechanism. Yeah. Uh, so I just found uh, again a purpose uh, and I did, uh, 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 by clicking and documenting uh, my environment and outside and inside and the canteen and the playground and uh, etc. I uh, really, it, it was just a moment of um, healing almost that I said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, 
make sure that every day I do that. And uh, it was just phenomenal. And I really enjoyed uh, doing that. And it kind of filled my day. And um, and um, I thought it was very important to, to do that. You described it there as like therapeutic, that it was a form for you to, to, to fill your days. Because I imagine, while you're not incarcerated, you're not officially in prison, but you're not allowed work. You know, as you said yourself, you can't really go anywhere because you don't have the money. The days must have been terribly long. Oh yes, the, the days are ter terribly long, absolutely, uh, and that's um, and that's that's really nothing that can be done about that. I mean, that's I mean, it's really structured in that way. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, and then I mean, the diet was very poor. Um, um, it was very little going on in the town, in the, in the small town. But what really is significant for me was. Um, that when you would so that's a town of with uh, let's say one 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 street really mm -hmm. and then you would go into town maybe uh, and go for a walk and uh, i started talking to some locals and they asked me so where, where do you live and i said well i um, um I'm an asylum seeker and I just live in, um, in the old convent on the top of the hill um, and they didn't know where that was and they didn't, they knew there was a convent there from time when the nuns were there, but the nuns have left the convent, but they didn't know that there, there are people looking for protection in that particular locality in such a small town. So, and that is the case, uh, in, in, in my view, uh, really deliberate decision uh, with the Irish state to keep uh, people segregated, to keep people um, almost ghettoized uh, at the periphery of, um, of our society, where the uh, integration with the local community is almost impossible. And so that was kind of, you know, and almost I felt, you know, that I, I'm not existing in that town as, you know, and, 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 and I must say this, that uh, the, the color of my skin is white and therefore uh, I'm kind of European and, uh, and I, was, uh, I was treated very differently than the friends of mine with the people of color. That, uh, in, in terms of uh, accessibility, in terms of uh, friendliness, in terms of uh, maybe not have this kind of uh, stranger in the town who, um, you know, who came and, you know, everybody suddenly is um, afraid. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of so interesting, Ashlyn, because we, we subsequently, we, we have seen uh, throughout the history of direct provision um, in places like Uxrard in Galway um, and then up to Kinegard now um, in, um, in Westmeath, West you know, how that kind of, um, um, even the local community get uh, uh, the frightened of the newcomers and how is that and now with the ukrainian refugees i think people living in direct provision are you know even in more in eternal limbo and i think this kind of i think it's getting even more and more and more difficult because as you know rightly so and f uh, i mean just absolutely kudos to irish government and the european uh, states for um, um for you know enabling ukrainian refugees to come and feel almost like they're at home given all the possible benefits they can be given um, it's 
uh, I am uh, really welcoming that, and I think it's a phenomenal uh, achievement. Uh, it's just I have a problem why uh, this is not applicable to every uh, other uh, person who is uh, fleeing conflict from other parts of the world. Does it make you angry? And it, 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 I'm not sure is if, the, if the anger is the word, but I think that something as, um, and, um, and I know people say to me, well, you don't look like Irish, and people say to me, well, you don't speak like Irish, but I feel I'm Irish, 100%, <laughs> and I feel that uh, we really need to face um, ourselves with uh, some issues like racism, um, and really hearing the narratives on the radio, even like uh, last week is like, but they look like us. Like, you know, they are like us, uh, while the other, others, they're not like us. And I think that's really getting kind of heartbreaking uh, for me to perhaps observe in the local park um, Ukrainian refugees, children, and um, non-white refugees, children, and how they negotiate belonging, and how their parents must feel when they cannot afford for their children. But anyhow, so I just think there is, uh, uh, anger is not the word, but I think it's more like a dis disappointment, uh, disappointment. And uh, I think also what is really important is that we know how the, the way we han handle Ukrainian refugees. Um, if you look back to the beginning of our, our origins of direct provision, there was never no need for the one to exist. Uh, no one benefited really, and there was always um, there was always, even before direct provision, uh, people who were coming to Ireland seeking protection, they've been offered at the time uh, um, almost all the benefits of what Ukrainians are having today. Mm -hmm. So there was a system in place before, and suddenly you have this anomaly of direct provision, and then, then it's still there, but then you have kind of another system that welcome, wel welcomes people. So I think there's an absolutely two-tier system going on, and it's, it, it's really sad. I think it's, it's, um, it's kind of heartbreaking, and that's something that, uh, again, not, it's not in Ireland, but I think it's across the board. So that's something that, um, yeah, that I would love to be different. So you came here looking for asylum. Mm and you eventually got your citizenship, if I'm correct. Is that 2015, was that That's you? correct, yes. And then what? Because you've been in this system that doesn't give you really any freedom. How do you go about establishing a life here? Yeah, I did, um, I think it was another kind of, it almost was um, a matching event that, um, that at the time when I was um, being allowed to remain in Ireland, suddenly there was um, um, the reports, like Ryan report um, came, came out in the public domain. Uh, so our, our institutional um, abuses of the um, marginalized people, um, fallen, fallen men, women, children, um, those official reports um, came um, in, in we, were, we were made aware of them. And I was uh, doing a bit of research on the kind of visual representation of those uh, uh, previous carceral sites, and I realized there is very little of uh, that, that, that that is available out there. So I really didn't want uh, this kind of experience of direct provision, this personal experience of direct provision that is um, um, that, that that is that was hurting. It's still hurting. It still didn't leave me. 
you know, after so many years, I really didn't want that to go unnoticed. I just didn't want that uh, for, for us as a society to sweep that under our smelly carpets. And I wanted to make it visible as, um, as much as possible. So I set out on a journey. Uh, I did... Uh, uh, um, um, while doing my master's and subsequently a PhD, I set on a journey to document every single center uh, that ever existed in the Irish state. And it was a long process of trying to find these, excuse me, places. Um, and um, um, in, in, in the book that I published recently, there is a map of Ireland and there are, you will see there are more than 200 um, uh, places where those sites were and are. And if you look at the map of Ireland, it's almost every single part of the country has a dot, whether it's a closed or open direct provision. And do you know whether we can go into the argument? Our uh, direct provision cites the continuation of uh, mother and baby homes and mothering laundries. Yes, in my view, maybe no, maybe we'll never get an apology because uh, those people are, again, not us, not one of us. They're not white, if you know what I mean. And I think that's something uh, that uh, even, you know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, almost even per perplexed with that notion of apology and what does apology mean, particularly if you continue to make the same mistakes uh, with humans, humans. So I really have uh, this uh, kind of work, Asylum Archive, that has almost um, 7,000 photographs um, of um, direct provision centers, and I really wanted to um, document it so we don't forget, so we uh, kind of remember the most appalling treatment of people who committed no crime. Their only crime was that they are uh, seeking for protection on our white European shores and um, and I um, and I'm kind of still um, oh, I think the, the the work is kind of um, in a way coming to its closure but I'm still working on it um, as uh, yeah and these like we said the direct vision centers are like they're not prisons but they're not open to the public you can't just wander in off the street to see what one of these places looks like so how did you find getting access then to it? What kind of processes did you have to go through? Mm. So I think, um, yeah, so I think for, because I was uh, living in direct provision center and um, centers and I know the vulnerability of a, a person, I think um, what is um, kind of important in my work are the ethics. So I really don't have the, the, the bodies of uh, people um, uh, seeking protection in my work. So rather I'm focused on the um, kind of ghosts and traces and remnants and etc. Uh, uh, so I wouldn't actually go to any of the centers and, and, and it's very hard to get any permission. So when the center gets closed, I would go, and if it's still maybe find a way, you know how to get mm -hmm. in, uh, maybe collect some of the objects uh, that children have left after uh, being transferred or deported, um, and also um, that kind of um, 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 I was very much interested in that architecture of um, um, of confinement of uh, those sites where people are. Uh, so I, I, I didn't uh, barely um, 
yeah, I, I don't like to intrude um, any spaces where people are living with the, the camera. And um, uh, while I work a lot with the asylum seekers and refugees, I tend to um, mainly take the work from the outside uh, rather than inside. But there's also some examples of the outside kind of work where, where the center has been closed and I managed to ob ob obtain an access. Because I think there's also that notion that um, I think the building carries a memory and also uh, the walls within the building carry the memory and there is a memory and it is really, so the memory is very important in my work and I'm just thinking imagine those buildings that were you know and in some cases like the the, the, the building in Foynes uh, there was a, a mother and baby home and then become a direct provision and now it's a center for the uh, Ukrainian refugees so how many la layer how many layers of trauma are embedded in one building if the walls could talk what stories would they mm -hmm. tell mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so this started as a coping mechanism, mm -hmm. something to do to pass your time. You were already into photography. Mm -hmm. You now have this archive with 7,000 mm -hmm. images in it. Mm -hmm. how, how does that even work? How do you even manage that, that volume of images? Well, I just because I'm using the technology and um, um, iCloud and uh, different hard drives, I, I kind of um, managed to store the, 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 that kind of data and information. But I think it's important to say that what I kind of um, envisaged at, at the beginning is that, uh, that uh, the, 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 the asylum archive is really kind of doing um, kind of well, if that's the word. So it, it's kind of working above my expectations, almost, as it's, um, um, it's, it's kind of part of the digital repository of Ireland. It's part of National um, 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 Gallery of Ireland. It's also been shown in places like, uh, like the venue like here and in Irish Museum of Modern Art. So people are getting aware of that. And it's, uh, so what I set out to do at the beginning, it's been fulfilled. It's been a, a really treacherous journey, I must admit, but I'm really happy I did it. And I think it's kind of almost the time to let go of that and then um, to, uh, to do some, uh, some other work. Uh, maybe in um, a European context, which I actually have started uh, doing the, the similar visual methodo methodology in other European countries, uh, documenting uh, detention centers, etc. Et so, yeah, so that's uh, that's there, and it's uh, it's almost like a kind of um, um, when I when I think um, how difficult was at the beginning, you know, and how difficult it was even to uh, remain in Ireland and all the fears of deportations and that everyone has, and then having the work in, um, in, in, in these important institutions uh, of education and art in Ireland um, and having it accessible for um, any other uh, researchers or students who may want to uh, do a further study. I think it's, um, I'm really pleased with it at the end. As you mentioned there, you've started Fortress EU mm. as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so so I just at the beginning of pandemic was uh, offered two months residency in Irish Cultural Centre in Paris. And, um, and, um, 
and then um, I spent some time in, in Lesbos, in Greece and in Italy. So uh, the idea is to, it is really fascinating because um, no matter how much research I have done, I couldn't find any artists really um, in Europe or one, I did find two, who would be doing similar work to what I have done in Ireland. And I think it's really important as um, 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 <clears throat> we don't, um, I mean, the refugees coming to Europe that, that I mean, the, the present um, crisis in Ukraine is obviously still in the media. But um, when I was in, in, in Lesbos only recently, uh, we don't hear that in the media anymore. It's not like 2015 mm -hmm. when there was, um, um, you know, all that there. And but it's still it's still there. Like the camps are still there. Like Moira camp, for example, that got burned down, uh, is not there. But there are some other camps there. People are still crossing from Turkey to um, to to Lesbos, and then further on, people are still dying on uh, dinghy boats. People are still living in the forests, uh, people are still um, having no rights and disappearing. So uh, I think the, I think really it's so hard and it's almost impossible um, to compare sufferings. I think what uh, we manage here in Ireland is to create that system of direct provision that is, so for example in France um, and in, in Greece and in Italy, like in, in most European countries you have detention centers where people, it's like a prison, right? It is a prison. So from there you can't go anywhere and you're waiting to be deported. In Greece you have pre-removal centers as well. Uh, then you have accommodation when you're living, uh, while, you're, um, uh, while you're waiting for your, um, 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 to hear about your um, 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 application for international protection. But what really interests me is that, uh, and it is so fascinating that in Ireland, is like direct provision centers are everything they're within one entity. Mm -hmm. So direct provision uh, is a, a detention center, if you like, in my view. It, it is accommodation center. It, can, it is a pre-removal center. It is all that, um, you know, within one locality. While it's so much, for example, in, in France, it's so much... Um, Gosh, uh, and it's of course a way bigger country, but it's there's so many different levels of immigration. It's really, really complex. But again, uh, I mean, the suffering, as I say, uh, seeing people living in the parks, um, we have no access to uh, basic facilities. Is just, uh, I think it's just really uh, harrowing and it made uh, a really significant impact on me to visit those places. It's really almost hard to visit the remnants of the camp because you see the traces that people have left there and it's kind of really disturbing. But uh, continuously what I'm hoping for is that at the end of the day or the end of the week, maybe in the work um, a catharsis may happen, so I will be okay with it and then maybe continue with the other work, you know. I mean, also seeing um, seeing in, in Lesbos uh, parts that are totally covered with the barbed wire, you know, to stop people, you know, crossing. It is it is really, really, really sad and, and it's not getting any better. I think European mechanisms of deter deter deterring people are working very well and I think it's just going to get, uh, you know, worse and worse for 
for uh, uh, people who are uh, not from Ukraine at the moment uh, to uh, have any life in um, in, in Europe. And uh, I think I think in, in Ireland, I, the minister has announced uh, uh, that the deportations are going to return. And um, yeah, and it's. Um, it, it shouldn't be that like that in my view. I think there is a room and space for everyone, and uh, we have uh, capabilities and possibilities uh, uh, to um, to welcome everyone. You you had to leave your homeland. Mm. You end up in a direct provision centre, which is another traumatic experience. Mm. You then go around visiting all of these other direct provision centres. You're now going to these other similar sites around Europe mm -hmm. and there will be those that ask why re-traumatise yourself? Mm -hmm. why, why put yourself through all of this? Yeah. Uh, I think the, the, the blunt answer to that Ashley, is because I don't know how to do anything else. Uh, I think that's just what I, I know how to do and I'm really um, like even even when I take the photograph after, it's almost like uh, watching it after a day, the same photograph in, in a week and a month, and it just it, it has that kind of resonance that I'm um, really um, happy in a way that portrays that kind of uh, cruelty. And in terms of re-traumatization, um, yeah, I mean, I it's a bit late to train to become um, something, someone else. Uh, and I wouldn't, you know, choose the profession. And um, uh, I think it's uh, kind of emotional, but I think it's also, you know, um, um, it's uh, it's um, it, it is educational for me. And I think it's um, I think that's uh, just what I, as a human being, can do uh, uh, to contribute to uh, to the world. To, to, to maybe become a better place in times to come. You said earlier on that the system here is, is deliberately designed to segregate asylum seekers and refugees from the general Irish population. You've chosen to stay here, to, to have a family here. Your, your daughter joins us here today. Um, are you now, you said you consider yourself an Irish. You've gotten your citizenship. Do you feel at home here now? Yes, it's uh, the, I, I, the most I feel. What, what I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not sure. That's a that's a philosophical question, really, because what is home? Uh, so uh, um, I don't know. I, I always kind of uh, almost go into nostalgia about the, the, the uh, you know first 16 years of um, uh, life as a privileged um, person in, in um, Belgrade and Yugoslavia. But I think uh, um, I, I am. I found home in um, Ireland and in Dublin, and it may not be ideal, uh, but do we have ideal home and what that may be? And uh, there are so many um, things that I'd love to be changed here, but uh, this is the, the best this it can get. Uh, and I think Irish people, not I think, but I know Irish people are, are really sound and decent, you know, and, and I, uh, and I, I um, yeah, it's, um, it's a family now, really. Mm. Mm. So you've mentioned now that for you, Asylum Archive is coming to the point where 
it, you, it will be an, an archive and not, not necessarily an ongoing project. You're, you're getting to the point where you can, you can stop that. Mm -hmm. What would you like to focus on next? Yes, um, or th that or I may make a, a long pause and then come back uh, to asylum archive because um, our government promised to close direct provision by 2024. That was by introducing white paper. Uh, then um, the uh, war in Ukraine um, or the invasion happened. Uh, then uh, uh, that's not going to happen, the closure of direct provision by 2024. Uh, what is uh, going to happen with direct provision, we, don't, we still don't know. Uh, it's there to stay at the moment. And um, in the meantime, I would uh, more like to focus on um, 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 on Europe and, and 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 to fortress Europe, and I'm also thinking about uh, different modes and and and. Uh, uh, modalities of solidarity where in my lifetime it's impossible for me to for example even um, document um, 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 immigration in um, um, in half of the European countries, but maybe working with other artists and photographers with a similar sensibility, so, uh, and so then we can work together and create something together. It's something that I'm um, trying to verbalize and contextualize in my head at the moment. In terms of contributions, and yeah, so that's something that occupies my mind. We are a country, I think, of creative people and even a number of artists or creatives from former Yugoslavia have made Ireland their home. Mm. And I think maybe we have this idea of, say, if you took writers as an example, of them sitting up in maybe a little attic room on their own, leaning over a laptop and they're working away all day long. And we can kind of picture what it might look like to be a photographer, or sorry, to be a writer. Mm. What does your day look like? for people who are not photographers listening to this or, you know, what does it mean to you to, to do, what do you do on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. I think um, when it comes to taking uh, photographs, um, um, I think what's important is that I know what not to take off, if you like. Mm -hmm. So loads of the, t uh, I mean, half, um, two thirds of my day, uh, 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 active day, I would spend thinking. And uh, so I would, and, and kind of writing notes. And um, so I would basically kind of um, um, focus on one place that I would like to visit, for example, a center, and then, and then how to approach that. And then so kind, of, kind of the whole entire thinking process of what I may uh, find there. Uh, is there gonna be an angry manager who's gonna have a, uh, you know, um, who's gonna, you know, be intimidating, etc. Uh, uh, so, so, so that preoccupies my mind, and I think when I'm there, really, um, in, in most of the cases, it's just really clicking and producing loads of photographs. Then, then out of that, you know, um, I would choose, um, um, or people like Angel and Yulia will choose a um, um, few ones for the further dissemination of the work. So I think it's a lot of, uh, kind of I read a lot and I think a lot and I kind of um, visit the places even without a camera. And it's, it's almost like preparing yourself, your, your entire being to, to face that. And then, and then, and then I would, uh, in, in most of the cases, revisit the places, and it's a kind of durational process. And uh, yeah, 
a lot a lot of time thinking a lot of time thinking actually which is also a labor i think mm -hmm. it's not that it, 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 it's not like lying in bed and it's it's almost like like you, you can do thinking anywhere um you know uh, but i think it's kind of um, almost training your brain to think until there is a, a solution at the moment, because of the heat waves we have experienced here in Ireland and the, the wildfires across Europe, I think we've become um, more interested in climate change and this idea of sustainability. As an artist practicing in Ireland, like we, we sell ourselves on the idea of being the island of saints and scholars, and we know like the cost of living crisis, the housing crisis. It, life is very, very difficult right now. Mm. Is being an artist sustainable for you here? Oh, it's it's. Oh, I don't know what the sustainable means, but it's it literally. Stay, I mean, it's kind of uh, uh, it's making the ends meet, really. But then, um, then then uh, in, in my particular case it's getting better and better slowly in terms that I um, um, availed of some grants from the Arts Council um, um, and then also I do a bit of kind of um, talk at the universities and so financially it's uh, you know like 70-80% um, of your income would go towards the rent etc and the, 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 the price of living so being an artist is perhaps not sustainable but again it's um, it's a profession and uh, I think uh, we have a kind of good support from the Arts Council um, that some other countries don't really in Europe and um, I think uh, perhaps um, 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 universal basic income that has been proposed by the, the government of Ireland uh, that artists would have a certain amount of money uh, like 350 I think is the case per week is something that uh, so, so, so there is a process of negotiation. And I think it, 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 it may, it, it's, it may get better. I think you know. So I it, know it's not, some people would complain about the uh, filling out the forms and the bureaucracy involved in, in applying for all of these grants. That 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 in itself could be a full time job. It is absolutely indeed. It, it, it is a full time job, almost like it. You, well, I don't know if it's a full time job, but it, it, it requires um, knowledge and it requires time. And um, you may not be successful uh, um, most of the time, really. But I think uh, persistence is the key, really. Uh, and uh, you just get better with the time. Same with the, the taking the photographs, I think, you know, or you just get better with the time. So the practice is. Uh, um, uh, is is uh, important, I think, yeah. But it's, um, yeah. Mm. So we're here today, sponsored by Photo Ireland in Dublin Castle, in the Printworks Gallery, in this fabulous space that I suspect many, many people are not aware exists. What does it mean to you to have your work on show here as part of this collection of, I think I'm right in saying around 200 photographers are on show here today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a really important for for me in my work to be here. It's it's like pr I feel privileged. I think it's also um, as as I mentioned, uh, absolute kudos to Julia and, and Angela and the team in the Photo Ireland to making this um, accessible and visible to the um, um, to the audience um, in Ireland and and, and further and. Um, 
and also uh, that the work that you may see here that is um, part of Asylum Archive tells the story of uh, direct provision. So I think that's, uh, that's really important and I think that uh, that uh, images speak um, about that. So that's, I'm really pleased. So I'm going to finish up our conversation today by asking the question I ask all my guests. What does storytelling mean to you? In, in this case, storytelling had to happen. And storytelling means that uh, finding a way uh, how to approach difficult um, inhumane systems and in this case, um, direct provision and using uh, a language of photography to uh, speak about its injustices. And um, in this case, it's photography. In, uh, in other um, cases, it can be any other means of uh, finding a tool how to speak about uh, a subject. So storytelling, it's yeah, it's like telling a story through photographs, as simple as. Uh, and, um, and as I said earlier, I am pleased how the photographs uh, from Asylum Archive tell the story about direct provision. Well, Vukasin Nedelkovic, thank you so much for joining us here on Ireland Creates today. Thank you to Photo Ireland for indeed sponsoring today's podcast. And I would definitely encourage anybody listening to pop in and see the exhibit. Or if you've missed it this time around, come back July 2023. Uh, the podcast artwork is by clairecreative.com and the theme tune is by createschool.ie. And thank you very much, and most importantly, to the people who turned up live and in the flesh in person on this floor. Gloriously sunny day. Thank you. Thank you.